podcast listeners. This is David Summerstein. We have a new podcast episode coming tomorrow, of course, because it's Thursday. Here's a sneak preview. We're going to analyze the first debate of the 21st Congressional District race. And we're going to start drilling down into the voter registration numbers in the district and what they might tell us about what the three congressional candidates will have to do to succeed and win. We're also still looking for your questions and feedback. You can email me, david at ncpr.org, or better yet, uh, make a voice memo on your smartphone. Just say your name, your first, your last name, where you live. Hi, I'm David Summerstein. I live in Canton. And then just go ahead with your question or your comment about our coverage, about um, questions you have about the race that we can try to answer. And then email the voice memo to david at ncpr.org. But right now, today, we thought you would like to listen to the unedited first debate. It was hosted by Mountain Lake PBS in Plattsburgh yesterday, which was Tuesday. Super huge thanks to them for doing it, getting the three candidates together and getting us good audio so quickly. Uh, Mountain Lake PBS will be rebroadcasting it over the weekend. So if you want to see the candidates do their debate, go check that out at Mountain Lake PBS. But Here's your chance to listen the first debate of the 2018 congressional race in the North Country. Moderator Tom Halleck, hit me. Hello, everyone. I'm Tom Halleck with Mountain Lake PBS. We are hosting the first debate among the three candidates running for the seat in the U.S. House for New York's 21st District. New York 21 covers 12 counties north of the Capital District all the way to the Canadian border and spanning across the North Country from Lake Champlain to Lake Ontario. Let's begin by introducing our three candidates from left to right. Elise Stefanik from Willsboro, Dr. Lynn Kahn from Scroon Lake, and Tedra Cobb from Canton. Let's go over the ground rules. The candidates get 90 seconds for opening and closing statements and 90 seconds to answer questions. There may be follow-up questions from the panel. Candidates will get 30 seconds to answer those and 30 seconds for any rebuttals. We drew names to decide the order, and we begin with Elise Stefanik and your opening statement. Thank you, Tom, and thank you to Mountain Lake PBS for hosting this debate. My name is Elise Stefanik, and I am honored to serve as your Congresswoman. Since my first day in office, I have worked tirelessly delivering results to the hardworking families across this district. I'm proud to be in the top 10% of most bipartisan members of Congress. Since day one, I have focused like a laser on delivering results for you, whether that's fighting on behalf of North Country farmers so they can exist for future generations, standing up for our troops, especially at Fort Drum, advocating for our veterans to ensure that they get access to the VA care and benefits they deserve, or whether it's working with small businesses and North Country manufacturers to create jobs and grow. Since I've taken office, unemployment is down in each of the 12 counties I rep represent, and wages are up. And according to the North Country Chamber of Commerce, small business optimism as is, is at an all-time high. That is good news. We can't afford to turn back to the failed policies of Nancy Pelosi and Andrew Cuomo. I'm excited to be here. I'm looking forward to the next hour. And I wanted to take this opportunity to also thank my opponents. It takes a lot of courage to run for political office in today's political climate. And I think it's a testament to our region that we have three strong women running for office. Thank you. Ms. Stefanik, thank you. Ms. Kahn. Thank you. I'm Dr. Lynn Kahn. I'm the Green Party candidate for Congress in District 21. 
I was born in the Bronx, which is a part of New York City, and grew up in a small town north of the city, Hartsdale, New York. I graduated from a terrific public high school, Ardsley High School, which in many ways saved my life. When I was a kid, my dad would drive us up north for his two-week vacation every summer. Up here in the Adirondacks in the North Country, this is where I learned what clean air smells like, what clean water tastes like. This is where I got to hear nature and hear myself think. My earliest memories are sitting on a pier with my father, fishing all day. I believe that my entire life I have been motivated to figure out how people work and how systems work. So of course I went into psychology. My PhD is in clinical psychology. My area of expertise is group dynamics. But instead of doing group therapy or family therapy, I went into government agencies to try to fix them. And I started with the Internal Revenue Service. Back in the day when your chance of getting a correct answer from taxpayer services was kind of 50-50, I escaped the IRS, went to the Federal Aviation Administration, represented aviation on the White House Partnership to Reinvent Government, and I'm here today to talk about how to drive solutions to complicated problems. Ms. Gunn, thank you. Ms. Kahn. Thank you for letting us be here today, and thank you to uh, Dr. Kahn and to Elise Stefanik as well. I'm Tedra Cobb, and the 21st Congressional District isn't just some area on a map for me. It's made me who, I'm a, who I am. I came here 30 years ago and went to SUNY Potsdam. I got married and raised a family. I started my own business, and I served in the St. Lawrence County Legislature as a mom, a volunteer firefighter, an AIDS educator, and a healthcare activist. I know and I love the people of Northern New York because I share our hopes and challenges. We stand at a fork in the road. Will we stick with the incumbent who has voted in ways that harm us? Or will we choose a new path and be an active voice in our own future? I say we act. Elise Stefanik has voted to harm us because of the corporate donors and outside interests and Washington. This is the time where we have a voice I want you to know that I will be accountable to you and only you, and I will be beholden to the North Country. Thank you so much. Ms. Cobb, thank you very much. Now let's get right to our questions from our panel, beginning with Brian Mann, who is the Adirondack Bureau Chief for North Country Public Radio. He has the first question for Elise Stefanik. Brian? Thanks, Tom. Congresswoman, under the Republican Party's leadership and with President Trump's massive tax cuts taking effect, the annual federal deficit exploded dramatically this year, despite the fact that we're not in a recession or a war and we have essentially full employment. The Republican Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell blamed this spike in federal debt, not on the tax cuts, but on programs like Social Security and Medicare. So it's a two-part question. First, do you agree with Senator McConnell that entitlements are the problem? And secondly, do you think the president's tax cuts were a good idea? 
So first of all, on the tax cuts, Brian, thank you for asking that question. This is an example of my independence when it comes to representing this district. As we know, New York State is one of the highest tax states in the country. In fact, my Democratic opponent has voted multiple times to raise taxes to her former constituents in St. Lawrence County. I voted no on that tax plan because I think New Yorkers should be able to deduct their state and local taxes. That's important. I don't believe in double taxation. When it comes to the deficit, I am concerned about our rising deficit, but I want to point out that under President Obama and Nancy Pelosi's leadership, the deficit was over $1 trillion, more than it is today. We need to continue focusing on economic growth. Uh, we're over 4% in economic growth. That was a number where just four years ago, Democrats said was not possible. I'm excited to see the economic growth, including seeing the unemployment go down in this district as we see wages increase. Um, in terms of how we can rein in our debt and deficit, uh, I think we should look at programs across the federal government. I voted for a balanced budget amendment, uh, which makes sure that Congress is held responsible the same way hardworking families are, balancing their budgets every week and every month. When it comes to protecting entitlements, Social Security and Medicare are incredibly important programs for this region and for seniors across the country. I believe we should make no changes to Social Security and Medicare for those above the age of 50. But for my generation, Brian, we know those programs are not on a path to solvency. And we need to show bipartisan leadership coming together to strengthen and modernize those programs. Thank you. Ms. Khan, 90 seconds. Uh, clearly, the tax cuts benefited, benefited the wealthy and not regular folks. I don't know where in District 21 there's a growing economy and a lowering unemployment. It's certainly not in consistently across District 21. There certainly are pockets of gro a growing economy here and there throughout the district. Most of this district is poverty with a beautiful view. I am would crawl back some of those tax cuts to fund the programs that we need to bring everybody up in their lives, including universal health care, including a dramatic whole of government response to climate change, including transforming the Department of Veterans Affairs so that it truly serves our veterans. I have a trouble calling Social Security and Medicare and Medicaid entitlement programs. We paid into those programs our entire, entire working lives. So it's not an entitlement, it's how we invested in our future. I have talked about a war on waste. We have a war on drugs that hasn't done very much. We have a war on terrorism that I have a lot of questions about. How about a war on waste? One report just came out said nearly $180 billion in our taxpayer money goes to duplicate, duplicated programs. That means that there are, for example, 47 programs inside nine agencies all doing the same job training. They don't coordinate, they don't communicate, and that's part of how we waste money, our money. Thank you. Ms. Cobb, 90 seconds. Uh, despite the hype, the Social Security Trust Fund is solvent. 50, uh, excuse me, the number one donor to Elise Stefanik are Securities and Wall Street to the tune of $870,000. Elise Stefanik in 2012 was the policy director for the Republican Platform Committee and wrote the plan to privatize Social Security and voucher Medicare. 169,000 people in this district rely on Social Security. Here's the thing. 
I was a county legislator. And despite Elise Stefanik saying that I don't understand taxes, I do. And I worked with the legislators, Republicans and Democrats to balance the budget and to make sure that the burden from the federal government that gets passed down on our state government and then finally gets passed down on local government um, is unfair. I've worked with people in my community to push back on the state and to work with the federal government and say, it's not okay to put that burden on local taxpayers. We can make Social Security solvent. We can make it fair by raising the cap. We also need to make a commitment to not give the richest among us a tax break while putting the burden on us, especially at the local level. Thank you. Ms. Stefanik, 30-second rebuttal. Great. So I think it's important to highlight my Democratic opponent's failed record when it comes to growing deficits. When she started on the St. Lawrence County Legislature, they had a balance of $23 million. Under her failed leadership, they had to borrow $12 million, $10 million, $9 million annually, and they went negative $3 million into the red. This is one of the reasons why Republicans won control of the St. Lawrence County Legislature. So yes, my Democratic opponent has a record of tax and spend policies from Nancy Pelosi. And when it comes to Social Security, I'm proud to have delivered over $1.8 million to seniors who are watching today. Ms. Cobb, 30 seconds. Yeah, what Elise Stefanik doesn't understand is local government, nor does she understand that in 2008, the economy tanked and every local government was working to try to make sure that our roads and bridges were paid for, that our community services were paid for, that our office for the aging was paid for. That's what we do at the local level. And to only have an understanding of federal government and not the burden on local taxpayers is really what is missing for our Congresswoman and what I bring as a Congresswoman Ms. in the future. So this is why I've chosen to run as a third party candidate. I'm a Green Party candidate for Congress, proud of that. I have very specific solutions to very specific problems, and it starts with a war on waste. So I've already talked about nearly $180 billion worth of programs that duplicate each other, $140 billion worth of fraud, a report by the Department of Defense that outlined $125 billion of waste inside the Pentagon. Let's go after that waste. Let's have a war on waste and fund programs that help regular people. I think that's a good idea, Dr. Khan. War on waste, I agree with you. All right, ladies, let's move on to our next question. Pat Bradley has the second question. She is the North Country Bureau Chief for WAMC Northeast Public Radio. Pat, your question will be going first to Ms. Khan. Hello. Despite reassurances, there have been concerns raised that with the confirmation of Brett Kavanaugh to the U.S. Supreme Court, the High Court is now poised to roll back abortion rights. If the court does reverse Roe v. Wade or even LGBTQ, which is lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender questioning laws, what will you as a congresswoman do in response? Ms. Scott, 90 seconds. What bothered me the most about the Kavanaugh hearings was the level of animosity among Republicans and Democrats. I don't believe that Republicans and Democrats can get past hating each other to actually get anything done. I am an independent Green, so I'm going to talk about abortion in a way that will probably keep me out of that club and uh, piss off a lot of people. 
I'm a psychologist. My degree is in clinical psychology. I want to look at the root causes of why people choose abortion. And the research says that we could decrease the number of requested abortions by over 50% if we had free and easy access to birth control. So that, that part of the solution says, is this a fight about abortion or is it a fight about sexuality? We could further decrease abortion if we had better support for parents of young families. We could further decrease abortion if we had science-based sex education in our schools. There are far too many young people that are becoming parents when they didn't want to be and are choosing not to have an abortion who are spreading sexually transmitted diseases. They have no idea how they got pregnant and it is the school's responsibility if families and communities and churches fail to teach about a science-based approach to sex education. So I'd say we can go very far in dramatically reducing the number of abortions in this country if we had realistic solutions to real problems. Ms. Cobb, 90 seconds. Well, I'd like to, uh, it's great that I'm following uh, Dr. Khan because I did HIV and AIDS education for many years and did uh, health education and sex education in schools and in communities uh, for many years, reducing uh, many of the things that uh, Dr. Khan is talking about. But what we're talking about are our rights as human beings and access to health care. First and foremost, every woman must have access to health care and the decisions that she makes must be between her and her doctor and her family should she choose. So as a Congresswoman, I will stand up for the rights of women. And secondly, this president right now is talking about changing the language and the law of what uh, a gender, a person is. I will fight to make sure that people who are straight or gay or questioning have equal access under the law to be fully who they are now and into the future. And so as a congressperson, we need the balance of powers. We need people in Congress who will fight for human rights and civil rights, not just now, but into the future, and to make sure that we are a fair and just society. I believe that these are North Country values, and I believe that that is what is missing in Washington right now, and I will bring those to Washington. Thank you. Ms. Stefanik, 90 seconds. To address the question directly uh, regarding Roe v. Wade, both Judge Kavanaugh, now Justice Kavanaugh, and Justice Roberts in their confirmations both testified that they believe Roe v. Wade is settled law, an important precedent that must be respected on the Supreme Court. I think that's the right decision. Uh, I do not support impeaching Justice Kavanaugh. When it comes to what we should do in Congress, uh, I am pro-life with exceptions for rape, incest, and life of the mother. Uh, I do believe that women should have access to birth control and contraception covered by health insurance. Uh, that's something that I think is important. And when it comes to LGBTQ rights, I have a strong record standing up for employee non-discrimination, for example. Uh, I have one of the strongest records out of Republicans in Congress when it comes to standing up for uh, uh, lesbian, gay, queer rights. Thank you. Uh, Ms. Cobb, rebuttal, just, 30 seconds. Oh, sorry. I would just like to remind people that Elise Stefanik voted five times to defund Planned Parenthood uh, and to move that money into community health centers. The problem is, is that many people in our communities rely on Planned Parenthood for just the sort of thing that Dr. Khan has talked about for education and for health care and for access to birth control.
Stefanik, rebuttal? I am proud of being one of the strongest supporters for community health centers across this district, which there are more of than Planned Parenthood. I think it is a model that works in providing rural care. I've received national recognition standing up for our community health centers like Hudson Headwaters, and I delivered uh, multiple years of funding, $7 million of funding for community health centers, and that's something I'm proud of, and it shows my bipartisan leadership and my ability to deliver results to this community. Ms. Cobb, 30 seconds. Yeah, I understand community health centers are important. I helped start one in Canton. The reality is Elise Stefanik voted to repeal the Affordable Care Act with no replacement. Our community health centers are important, but they don't meet the needs of 64,000 people who had, would have lost their health insurance if the Affordable Care Act Care Act had been repealed. Let's not forget that. We are fighting for health care here in the North Country, not just community health centers, not just Child Health Plus, but access to health care everywhere. And Ms. Kahn? Well, while my opponents are arguing with each other, we have the same two parties and the same bad results. As I walk around District 21, I speak to people about real issues. In my town, Scroon Lake, if there was a, someone who had a serious emergency, the protocol is to drive them 91 miles south to Albany Medical Hospital. I've talked to people who've had to wait three months to get their prescription filled. There are serious problems with the resources for health care in the North Country as there is throughout rural America, and fighting each other is not going to solve that problem. All right, our next question is coming from Peter Crowley. Peter is the editor of the Adirondack Daily Enterprise. Peter? And this question is going to uh, Ms. Cobb. Um, the Constitution specifically gives Congress powers to direct war, naturalization, and commerce. But Congress has kind of sat on the sidelines while recent presidents have changed immigration policy, imposed tariffs, and cut trade deals with foreign nations, and started wars, including one that's been going on for the last 17 years. Should Congress take back powers con presidents have taken for themselves? And if so, how would you pursue that? Ms. Cobb, 90 seconds. Yeah, the first thing that you're talking about is the unauthorized use of military force. And absolutely, Congress must reevaluate the unauthorized use of military force. Congress now, you know, Lynn Kahn has said that we argue with each other here on the stage. What we're talking about are policy differences. What we're talking about are the importance of speaking to the issues that we face every single day. And each of us has a different strategy or focus to do that. I believe that Congress, this particular Congress, has failed to act, has failed to hold this president accountable. But what they have allowed to have happen is repeal things like the Clean Power Plan or put into the Farm Bill the, the repeal of the Clean Water Rule. These are things that Congress must pass, the, the environmental protections that we rely on. And what you're talking about, Peter, is this president or any president overreaching. And this president has, in my opinion, overreached. And it's Congress's duty to push back and to pass laws that will protect us, not only now, but into the future. Ms. Stefanik. 
I disagree with my Democratic opponent. She is misinformed. We have an authorization for use of military force. It's under the 2001 authorization of use of military force. I believe that should be updated, uh, given that we're facing additional security threats around the globe, given the rise of ISIS. I believe that President Trump's foreign policy has been a strong suit. Uh, I think he was correct, for example, in acting uh, to strike Syria in response to Assad's use of uh, chemical weapons on his own population. I think that was strength that we didn't see under President Obama. When it comes to constitutional uh, co-equal branches of government, Peter, I think when it comes to issues like the environment, uh, when it comes to issues like immigration, it's Congress's job to act and legislate. Uh, on immigration, for example, I have been one of the leading voices in taking back that congressional authority and passing legislative solution, whether it's fixing our broken visa program for our agricultural workers, whether it's providing uh, increased border security, uh, which is a concern for many, many constituents in this district as they look at what's happening on the southern border. And you also mentioned tariffs. Uh, I think Congress has a role uh, in terms of finalizing trade agreements. We are going to have a vote on the updated NAFTA, the USMCA, and I think that's important. It should come before Congress. Uh, but again, I disagree. My Democratic opponent, opponent is misinformed uh, because there is an authorization for use of military force, and it should be updated. I've been very clear on that, and I've been active in that discussion on the House Armed Services Committee. And Ms. Khan, the same question. You get 90 seconds. Thank you. Uh, 17 years covers both Republican and Democratic administrations. This Congress and all the ones before them since we invaded Iraq and Afghanistan has failed their constitutional responsibilities. They have violated the oath, the pledge that they made to defend and support our Constitution. Article 1, Section 8, our Congress is responsible for declaring war. And it's not just about having a congressional conversation, it's about having a conversation with America. Why are we going to war? Why have we murdered more than 4 million people in the Mideast? Why are we in, I think, 76 different countries around the world with active duty troops? What are we doing in Africa? These are conversations that should be public. We should be part of the conversation about where and why we send our sons and daughters off to wars that for the most part do not have to be fought. And these wars for the most part are for oil, they're for empire, and they're for ego. And that's a problem with both political parties. We need to transform our foreign policy to better balance our military strength with diplomatic wisdom. And I've talked about a five-point doctrine to do that. And it begins with, we must be strong to build peace. So don't confuse conversations about diplomacy with weakness for our military forces. I believe we have to be a strong military force to build peace. And that's what the future of our planet depends on. Ms. Cobb, 30 seconds. Perhaps Ms. Stefanik didn't understand what I said. We have the unauthorized use of military force, and what I said is we need to revisit it. That's what we need to do. And as far as the visa programs, the H2C visa has been sitting. Our farmers have been waiting for immigration changes and policies while this Congress talks about it without acting on it. 
Sure, so I think it's important when we talk about national security issues, first of all, to thank the soldiers of the 10th Mountain Division. I have been the leading voice protecting Fort Drum and making sure the soldiers have the resources they need in terms of investing in military readiness, training, equipment, and military spouses. So thank you for everything you do for uh, every day of the year around the globe protecting our national security. I think that's important uh, for all of us to acknowledge and thank them for our service. Uh, when it comes to uh, my Democratic oppo opponent's statement on H2C, I voted for H2C visa. I was proud of that vote, and I was proud to be one of the leading voices to force the immigration discussion to vote on a bill that fixed our broken immigration system and included border security. Unfortunately, no Democrat supported that legislation. Now to questions from our viewers that we asked them to send in by email and social media. The majority re we received had to do with health care, efforts to repeal the Affordable Care Act, and people worried about the affordability of health care, especially for those with pre-existing conditions. So the question, how do we resolve the health care crisis? What will you do in Congress to guarantee health care and make it affordable and available? And we begin with Ms. Stefanik, 90 seconds. So I ran for Congress to bring better health care. My family was impacted under the implementation of Obamacare. My family's small business lost our health care coverage under Obamacare. We were given a health care package with higher premiums and higher out-of-pocket deductibles. I have been a strong advocate for replacing Obamacare with common sense, patient-centered health care to give you more choices and more aff affordable options. I put forth specific solutions, whether it's allowing small businesses to pool together in associated health care plans, whether it's uh, encouraging two primary care visits per year and requiring those to be covered by health insurance. We need better health care. Obamacare is not working. We see how prices are increasing year after year after year. We need better health care and I've been the leading voice to fix and replace Obamacare. Ms. Khan, 90 seconds. I am on the record with an article that's been published talking about a roadmap to universal health care. I believe in universal health care. We are the richest country on the planet and the only developed country that does not allow its citizens to have free and easy access to basic health care, including vision, dental, and the full range of mental health services. In my Proposal, I say that I will support and sign the Medicare for All bill with my eight amendments. And the first one is clarifying the purpose of that legislation. I don't want to see just another insurance policy put in place. There are too many problems with the ones that we already have. I want to make sure that the purpose of this legislation is to expand health care, lower costs, and improve health care outcomes, which are not improving in District 21. My second amendment says it's time to really start reducing the cost of medication. To the last 210 drugs that were approved for marketing came out of taxpayer-funded research at our health institutions and our health agencies. I want to demand that if we, the taxpayers, are paying for that research, we need to get some of the benefits. There are a lot of ways to do that, and one way is to use something called the Buy-Dole Act and say if our pharmaceutical companies cannot make life-saving medication available at a good rate, then we can walk back in and move the patents around so that they do deliver the medicine for everyone. Thank you. Ms. Cobb, 90 seconds. 
I am in this race because Elise Stefanik repealed, voted to repeal the Affordable Care Act. That is the long and short. I have spent my life's career in my community working to improve access to health care. The things that Elise Stefanik has just mentioned, going to a doctor twice a year, what does it matter if you go to a doctor twice a year when you can't pay for any follow-up care? What we need is a commitment that every person in this country has portable and affordable health care. It could be Medicare for all. It could be Medicare expansion and the ACA expansion. I am not starting with the solution, I'm starting with the problem. And it's a moral problem, it's a fairness problem, and it's killing us economically and literally. The, the uh, Healthcare Association of New York State asked Elise Stefanik and this Congress, every congressional representative, not to repeal the Affordable Care Act without a replacement. And yet they did, kicking 64,000 of our friends and neighbors off of their health care, closing off hospitals and nursing homes and health care centers. We have got to make a commitment that every person has portable and affordable health care, but also there are bills sitting in this Congress that would allow the United States to negotiate drug prices. And we are being gouged right now by prescription drugs, and we can't afford it. Those are the changes that need to be made, and I will commit to those in Washington to help our friends and neighbors in northern New York. Thank you. Ms. Stefanik, rebuttal. Yes, Dr. Khan and I have specific proposals. We have the courage to put out our specific ideas about how we can fix our broken healthcare system. I think we all agree on this stage that we have a broken healthcare system. And I agree that we need to have more portability and more affordability when it comes to healthcare. My Democratic opponent wants more government-run healthcare. She changes her mind in terms of Medicare for all. Sometimes she wants it, sometimes she doesn't. I want a different direction. I believe patients should have greater options and be allowed to purchase healthcare across state lines. And when you talk about seeing a doctor twice per year, that's a bipartisan bill, Ms. Cobb. That's a bill that I'm working on with a Democrat that would be a fundamental fix to the Affordable Care Act. Thank you, Ms. Kahn, 30 seconds. The universal health care that I believe we all should have access to is more than just a moral issue. It's more than just a health care issue. It's a social issue, an economic issue. And as we understand the impacts of climate change, it's going to be a national security issue. We don't know what kinds of diseases are being unleashed by defrosted tundra. We don't know what kind of bugs are being developed and moving up north, but we do know there's a polio-like virus that's hitting 22 states. The time to act is now. We have run out of time. And Ms. Cobb, 30 seconds. I'm going to talk about a policy solution, and one of those is to not take a dime from insurance companies or pharmaceutical companies. That is unlike my Republican opponent, who takes hundreds of thousands of dollars, tens of thousands of dollars from those companies and then votes against the interests of this district. I am only going to be beholden to the people in this district. I have supported either it's Medicare for all or an expansion. It doesn't matter right now what the answer is. What matters is that Congress actually do its job and hold hearings and work with the people in the community to find those solutions. And this Congress has failed to find a solution for health care. Ms. Khan, 30 seconds. I've been having those conversations. I've been going around this district. I already know what people are concerned about, where the health care falls down, 
what the issues are from transportation to affording medication to getting to see a doctor within three weeks. We have the information from the people that live in District 21 about what's needed. It's time to act. We have run out of time. And as you listen to these comp uh, competitors, all you're going to hear is how the other party hasn't been helpful. And in fact, neither of them have been helpful. Same two parties, same bad results. Ms. Stefanik, final word. Uh, one important topic is providing coverage for those with pre-existing conditions. I support an amendment to uh, the health care bill that required insurance companies to cover those with pre-existing conditions, that didn't allow insurance companies to kick off individuals with pre-existing conditions, that doesn't allow insurance companies to raise prices with those for those with pre-existing conditions. I have family members with pre-existing conditions. I think whatever direction we move in, and it should be a bipartisan one, we have to protect those with pre-existing conditions. We have to allow young people to stay on their parents' plan until the age of 26. This needs to be a bipartisan conversation. And where Ms. Cobb said, it doesn't matter what the details are, it does matter what the details are. Medicare for All is a government-run program that would cost trillions of dollars, and that comes out of the taxpayers. I've seen how government-run programs like the VA aren't effective. Ms. Cobb, final word on this? Sure. Uh, <laughs> the question, of course, is when did the pre-existing pre conditions get covered, Ms. Stefanik, when you voted to repeal the Affordable Care Act and move the AHCA forward? Because pre-existing conditions were not covered it in that. It was called the Upton Amendment. And afterwards, the reality is this. We are getting a line about what Ms. Stefanik is going to help us with. We've been waiting for four years. Four years, it's too long. Our businesses have been, are harmed, our families are harmed. Every single one of us in this community has family members who have pre-existing conditions. And what we get is waiting and waiting. Thank you, we need to move on. Our next question is from a viewer. A report from the United Nations and a panel of scientists is painting a far more dire picture of the immediate consequences of climate change than previously thought. Predicting catastrophic global warming within the next few decades without drastic reductions in carbon emissions. With an executive branch that has disputed the existence or causes of climate change and working to loosen regulations that could lead to more rapid climate change, what steps would you take to get Congress and the White House to act? And would you support any type of a carbon tax? Dr. Kahn, we begin with you. Thank you. I am on the record with a plan to deal with climate change. I start by saying it is zero hour for Mother Earth. We have run out of time. There's no choice left but to move forward and have a whole of government response to climate change. That means putting climate change responsibilities into the goals and uh, measurements of every single government agency. That means reestablishing the interagency climate change working group that was in effect and got dismantled by this administration. That means taking the, asking our military and intelligence communities, which are far and away more sophisticated and more knowledgeable about the impacts of climate change, and asking them to step forward, calling for congressional hearings where they feel free to talk about what it is that they know. And finally, I have called for a corridor of green energy manufacturing along the St. Lawrence River that is based in part on production of hydrogen fuel. The rest of the world is moving forward with hydrogen fuel. Hydrogen, it's the most abundant element in the universe. It burns clean with no emissions. 
and that's where the rest of the world is going. Switzerland, Australia, Canada, South Korea is producing cars already that are run on hydrogen fuel. 25 nations in Europe have band together to create a hydrogen fuel economy. We are left behind. We are lagging behind, and it's time for New York to lead the country in the generation of the next kinds of renewable energy. Thank you. Ms. Cobb, 90 seconds. Yeah. Elise Stefanik voted against the Clean Power Plan, which was our commitment to the Paris Climate Accord. We need to be leaders again in the world to protect our environment, and we need to rely on the military, which has spoken very decisively about the security issues that we face because of climate change. We look at the world and people moving from place to place for security, for food, uh, and so we have got to invest in, as Lynn Kahn says, clean energy and conservation. But this Congress has not done that. They have moved money from the EPA. They have taken away the clean power plan and reversed the clean water rule. They've got $800 million from the conservation stewardship program, which invests in conservation. And every dollar that's invested, there's a $4 return. We have an opportunity to move off of fuel, and it may be a carbon tax, or it may be a carbon tax and a, a, a return to all of us uh, to, um, with dividends. There are policies out there that, are, that can help us move off of fossil fuels. First and foremost, to help us get there, every person who is elected should not take a dime from fossil fuels or from oil and gas. Unlike Elise Stefanik, I will not take a dime, and I will be able to vote with the policies and for the policies that truly help us and help our environment. Thank you, Ms. Stefanik. You have 90 seconds. This is an important issue for our region. We feel the impacts of climate change right here in the Adirondacks, whether it's our tourism sector, whether it's the increase in invasive species. I have a strong record of independence when it comes to standing up for our environment. I have challenged the president. When he proposed cuts to the EPA, we fought back and we made sure the EPA was funded. When my fellow colleagues in Congress wanted anti-science amendments passed, I stood with Democrats and reached across the aisle to stand up for scientific-based research. Uh, both of my opponents have mentioned climate change as it relates to national security. I have been the leading Republican voice when it comes to ensuring that our DOD has climate-friendly solutions and looks to climate change as one of the national security problems. I don't think it is the largest national security problem. That's counterterrorism, a rising Russia, a rising China. But I do think it is important and we should be focusing on our investment in renewable energy, such as wind, solar, uh, as well as hydro hydropower and biomass. That's a growth opportunity for our region. Additionally, I'm proud of my support from the Environmental Defense Fund for my award by the Audubon Society and the Nature Conservancy because of my pro-environmental record. And Tom, you asked about a carbon tax. I don't support a carbon tax because that would increase energy costs for constituents that I represent. And when you look across this district, people are struggling to make ends meet. That would be an additional tax. And of course, my Democratic opponent supports increasing taxes. Ms. Khan, you have 30 seconds. Take it easy, young ladies. Look, I, neither of these people have talked about hydrogen fuel. It's where the world is going. 
it, we have this perfect opportunity by the St. Lawrence River to lead an, uh, to the development of an economic powerhouse where we are creating the fuel of the future. And both Republicans and Democrats have their head in the sand when it comes to renewable energy that includes hydrogen fuel. With, it's starting in St. California, who already are having buses that are running on hydrogen fuel. Germany has just piloted their first hydrogen fuel train. China has a corridor for hydrogen fuel development and production along the Yangtze River. We can re reach that level of economic development and we can address climate change directly. And, and, and the worst implication of ignoring climate change is that we are more likely to get into more conflicts and more wars as more people are hungry and thirsty. We will have climate change refugees in our country and in our borders along up to District 21. Thank you, Ms. Cobb, you have 30 seconds. Yeah, you can't be a sometimes environmentalist. And I've long lived my environmental values. I lived off the grid and with solar panels since 1993. Uh, my husband's a solar installer. I agree with Lynn Kahn about investing in renewable energies. But here's the thing, we can invest a carbon tax which allows us to reduce and invest in conservation. We've done it before. NYSERDA is a great example of how we have invested in New York State in renewable energy, in conservation, to allow families to not rely so much on fuel costs. These are opportunities that we have. Um, but again, it has to do with being independent. And I want to say one thing. The Scientific Integrity Act has been sitting in committee for a very long time. Let's get it out of committee. Let's do something. All right, thank you very much. We're going to continue now with questions from our panel. We will go back to Brian Mann for his next question, going first to Tedra Cobb. One Thanks. minute, uh, candidates. Also, we're running a little behind, so one minute for your responses, please. Thanks, Tom. Uh, the U.S. Uh, spends uh, over twice as much on our military compared with uh, China and Russia combined. When you count our close allies, we spend three times as much preparing for war compared with all our potential enemies taken together. So despite the ballooning national debt, Congress and President Trump have continued to grow the military budget. In fact, the latest one-year increase, the increase alone is more money than Russians spend in total on their national defense. So the question, uh, is does that make sense? Given our massive national debt, is it sustainable? Can the U.S. continue to spend so lavishly on the military? Tetra Cobb, 90 seconds. 90 seconds? One minute, I'm sorry, thank you. Okay, um, the John McCain uh, National Defense Authorization Act uh, just passed, as you have said. It is important that John McCain be honored in that uh, the president did not, Elise Stefanik did not honor him when uh, sh they came to Fort Drum, and I think that's important to start with that. But I will continue, uh, no, we can't continue to sustain our military spending, but it's a matter of priorities. Uh, we need to invest in the people that serve us. Uh, finally, this, this uh, the NDAA invested in our military service people and gave them uh, a raise, but there's still uh, a gap there. We need to invest in our federal workforce. We need to invest in, in our veterans and make sure that our veteran services are not uh, discretionary. And I put veterans in with our military service as well. And, and we need to invest in our military bases 
that, like Fort Drum, that are unique and are part of our community. I am from St. Lawrence County, and I was a county legislator working with the Fort Drum Regional Liaison Organization under the Fort Drum expansion. I will support Fort Drum and the work that it's done in our community and continue to do uh, uh, going forward. Ms. Stefanik, one minute, please. I am the only one on this stage that has had the privilege and honor of working with John McCain. I am the only one on this stage who has earned the support from my campaign by John McCain. I consider John McCain a friend, and he is a loss for this entire country. And Ms. Cobb, I am the only one on this stage who is a part of Congress who named the NDAA after John McCain. We pass the NDAA every year, um, and I am proud of the work that we've done to rebuild our military. To answer the question about military investment, yes, I believe what we are spending is adequate to meet all of the threats around the world today. Uh, as I mentioned before, you have Russia, who is a destabilizing influence to our NATO allies and has been meddling in, elec in elections across the country. You have China asserting itself in the South China Sea. You have terrorist organizations like ISIS. You have Iran and you have North Korea. So we are facing a lot of threats. And I believe that our soldiers at the 10th Mountain Division and our military men and women in uniform deserve all of the resources they need. I don't support going backwards to the defense cuts under Democratic leadership that decimated Fort Drum, Thank that you. decimated military readiness. Ms. Khan, one minute. John McCain might have been your friend, but you didn't have the courage when you were standing on that stage to announce that authorization to say his name. And you don't have the courage to talk about the national security implications of climate change in public, on the floor of the House. You've said more today than I've seen you and heard you say in four years. What don't interrupt me. What does more deserve? Don't interrupt me. I'll do a follow-up, Tom. That $125 billion report that came from the Department of Defense about ways in which to reduce waste in the Department of Defense was about $100 billion ago in terms of the budget. We cannot sustain this budget. And what it's doing is driving us into more places where we're more likely to create more conflict. My dad was a Marine. Veterans benefits help my family crawl out of poverty. I support our soldiers. I support our veterans. And the most important thing that we can do for all of them is stop sending them off to wars that we do not have to fight. Ms. Stefanik, 30 seconds. Sure. So when it comes to John McCain, I am very proud working with him on rebuilding our nation's military. And as I said, I was one of the members of Congress that made sure we named that bill after him. Uh, he will be sorely missed in this country. And what I think does a disservice is not supporting the NDAA, which Ms. Cobb's campaign uh, said they did not support and were critical of. And I don't, it doesn't sound like you support it either, Ms. Khan. That's but I strongly I support the defense bill we just passed. All right, thank you. Ms. Cobb, 30 seconds. I'd like to remind people that Elise Stefanik voted to cut, to shut down the House Intelligence Committee's investigation. So just on this stage, she's talked about Russia and the threat of Russia, and yet the House Intelligence Committee voted to shut down that investigation. It was wrong, and she is responsible for that. We must make sure that the Mueller investigation goes forward because clearly this House Intelligence Committee failed to do their duty and to uphold the Constitution and to put patriotism before party. 
All right, thank you. And we do have to move on. We're going to Pat Bradley for the next question. These responses need to be 45 seconds, please. Pat, your question. And this is going to Elise Stefanik first. The Environmental Law and Energy Center at Harvard University currently lists 48 items that they call environmental regulatory rollbacks of the Trump administration. That's their title, including the Clean Power Plan and Pollution Emission Guidelines, Endangered Species Act rules, and the Paris Climate Agreement. Do you agree with any of the administration's changes, and what will you do to ensure environmental protection? Ms. Stefanik, 45 seconds. Sure, so thank you for the question. Uh, I have opposed the president's rollback of the Clean Power Plan. I've said that publicly. Uh, when the president made the decision to leave the Paris Climate Accord, uh, I disagreed with that publicly as well. Uh, in terms of the Endangered Species Act, I also oppose rolling back the Endangered Species Act. This is why I have one of the most pro-environment records of any Republican in Congress. It's why I'm honored to have the support for, from the Environmental Defense Fund. But more importantly, this shouldn't change from administration to administration. This is Congress's jo job to legislate when it comes to our environmental and economic policy in this country. Thank you, Ms. Kahn, 45 seconds. I would roll back the rollbacks. I would act as if we're moving forward, protecting our environment, environment challenging the consequences of climate change, having a whole of government response. But one thing it did bring out for me is if the Republicans are just shoving laws down the Democrats' throat, and the Democrats are just shoving laws down Republicans' throats. It's not going to work. We have to figure out how to have conversations that bring everybody together. And with respect to the clean water plan, we didn't have conversations with farmers and ranchers. So of course they're going to push back against it. The only successful laws and the only successful strategies to solve complicated problems come from participation, come from consensus come from pe bringing people together, and that's the only way we're going to move forward. Ms. Cobb, 45 seconds. Uh, the clean water rule took 10 years to negotiate. It didn't get rammed down people's throats. The clean power plan was a plan in place that Elise Stefanik in 2015 voted against. She's voted to dump coal into rivers. Let's look at her overall environmental record. Her League of Conservation record is abysmal. If 65% is passing, then what is a 29? Or in her first, her first year in office, I think it was a six or a nine. Either way, it is not passing. Let's be real about the commitment to the environment. This Congress is rolling back, and Elise Stefanik is part of that. And Lynn, you're right. We do need to work together. And I will work just like I did as a county legislator with my colleagues to make sure that everyone's voice is heard. But I think it's important as a candidate to talk about our differences and what I bring to the table. And my deep commitment to the environment is one of the things that I bring to the table. Candidates, thank you. We need to move right on to closing statements. Uh, Ms. Khan, your closing statement, 90 seconds. I chose to run as a Green in part because the Green Party's been talking about the damage we're doing to our environment for decades. The Green Party's been talking about climate change for decades. The Green Party's been talking about universal health care, about finding other ways to be in the world besides starting wars. The Green Party stands for the values that I believe most of District 21 agrees with. I'm not just the Green Party candidate. 
When I was running before for, as an independent candidate for president, I earned the nickname the government mechanic. I know how government works. I know how to bring together how the agencies operate with legislation that needs to be written that will pull everybody together and move us forward. It's way more than strategic planning. It's about integrating the plans of multiple agencies and multiple stakeholders to create an architecture for change. I ask you, have courage. Vote green. Make history. Send a green to Congress for the first time in the history of the United States. And if you want to know why I'm different, another way is I have raised about 1% to 3% of what my opponents have raised. Go check it out. You don't have to trust me. They're all taking money from corporations. Go to opensecrets.org. Go to the Federal Election Commission site, fec.gov. Look at where they're getting their money from. I'm the only one that's not taking money from rich people. I'm the only one that is truly the people's candidate. And I don't owe anybody anything. And that's how I will start my first day in Congress. Thank you. Ms. Stefanik. Well, thank you again to Mountain Lake PBS. I want to thank my opponents for this spirited debate. Uh, we have differing solutions, but again, thanks for your courage uh, for running for office in today's political climate. I am proud of my record of results for the families across this district. As I said in my opening, I have focused like a laser on providing the best constituent services, whether that's delivering $2.7 million of VA benefits to our veterans, or whether that's delivering $1.8 million to our seniors of Social security benefits. I've been able to deliver grant funding for infrastructure projects ranging from broadband to water infrastructure. Uh, I've been focused on economic growth. We need to continue our focus on economic growth, promoting manufacturing, promoting career and technical education. Uh, I'm excited of my record and I think uh, across party lines, I've been proud of my support, Republicans, Democrats, independents, or unaffiliated voters. And I humbly ask for your vote on November 6, because this election is a choice. This election is a choice. Do we continue to focus on growing the economy, or do we move in the opposite direction of the Nancy Pelosi and Andrew Cuomo tax and spend failed policies? I think we need to continue voting for results, and I hope to earn your support. Thank you. Ms. Cobb. Uh, again, I want to say thank you to the panelists and I want to say thank you to Mountain Lake PBS and to my, uh, the other candidates on the stage. We have talked today about why elections matter and we've talked a bit about policy and we've talked about our values. I want you to know that I've run this campaign with integrity and with grit and I would not be here but for the people who have supported me along the way. I have not taken money from corporations nor will I. I will be responsible only to the people who have supported me and who have gotten me here. If you are a parent or if you are caring for your own aging parents, if you have a struggling business or if you are burdened by crushing health care costs. This is the election that matters. We must change course now. Four years. We have had four years. And if you are in any of those categories that I've just named, you know that four years is literally a lifetime of harmful votes. We have an opportunity to vote for someone who has lived here for 30 years and who has a deep commitment to this community. We deserve a congressperson who lives where we live and who understands our needs and challenges and who will passionately fight for us and work with us 
in Washington. I want you to know I will work in Washington, but I will continue to live here. And I humbly ask for your vote on November 6th. Candidates, thank you all for participating tonight. Also, our thanks to Brian Mann and Pat Bradley and Peter Crowley for asking the questions, as well as Susie Johnson and Betty Ann King, our volunteers with the League of Women Voters of the North Country, who were our official timers tonight. And for those of you watching at home or online all across northern New York, our thanks as well. Please do your part and vote on Tuesday, November 6th. Thank you and good night.